Welcome back to Puccini the Dog's favorite podcast. And let's be honest, probably Puccini the Composer, too, if he were alive today. Beethoven walks into a bar. I'm Stephanie. I'm the Kansas City Symphony's Education Manager. I'm Jason Sieber, the Symphony's Associate Conductor. And I'm Mike Gordon, Principal Flute of the Kansas City Symphony. One of my favorite parts of doing this podcast, in addition to virtually sitting down with you guys each week, is getting to chat with colleagues of mine in the symphony. Now, I've been in the orchestra for a little while and know these folks pretty well, but even I have learned a lot of new things about my fellow musicians through this podcast. I mean, how would I have ever learned that Julian Kaplan wanted to be a NASCAR driver? <laughs> Today's guest is someone I have known for quite some time, uh, and in addition to being in the orchestra together for the last 10 years, we also played together for a little while at the New World Symphony as well. I am, of course, talking about our associate principal cellist, Susie Yang. Guys, Susie is one of those people, very much like Mike, who is always willing to contribute to the symphony both on and off the stage. I've had the privilege of hearing her perform many times for receptions and various activities around the community. And in addition to her beautiful playing in the orchestra, she maintains a very successful teaching studio. She regularly has been performing chamber music online, especially during the pandemic times, and also out in the community, as I mentioned. And she has shown a deep commitment to making Kansas City a better place. Please welcome to Beethoven Walks Into a Bar, our good friend, Susie Yang. Hey, Susie. Hi, how are you guys? Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being here. As much of our audience knows, the symphony has been back in Hillsburg Hall, creating streaming content for audiences since November. And Susie, you were among the first group of musicians back making music in that building. So I'm curious, what was it like stepping back into the Kauffman Center for the first time in many, many, many months. And what has it been like back making music with your colleagues in that space again? Yeah, so, you know, I actually took my dog on lots of walks in front of the Kauffman Center during the pandemic, just because it was so empty. And then, you know, I would always just walk past and, and longingly look and, you know, wish for those concerts and those rehearsals. And so when I first, but going back there for the first time, actually, I almost had like jitters, like first time yeah. going into the hall jitters. Like, I don't, I didn't know what to expect. Also with all the, you know, different guidances we have now for COVID. And so it was kind of just like a first day of school experience, but maybe more for like going from, I don't know, junior high to high school or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in terms of seeing my colleagues on stage and getting to play music with them, um, it was just really exciting for me. I hadn't seen a lot of them in a really long time. I've seen like the content they put on online and things like that, but seeing them in person was kind of crazy. It's like, oh, I see all these people, you know? <laughs> hmm. So it was, it was really amazing. Yeah, that's one of the strange things that, well, I certainly think about all the time. I don't know if our listeners think about uh, We're so used to seeing each other you know, for five, six hours a day, practically every day for decades at a time, right? It's <laughs> it's very strange to suddenly not. And uh, Susie, of course, you and I um, played together a couple of times outdoors over the summer, which was really, mm -hmm. really fun. Yes. And then I can't recall if I've actually seen you in person since then. I don't think so, right? Nope. I have not seen you in maybe a few few months maybe more than that yeah at least at least it's it's been a really uh bizarre thing not only to not be making music but to 
be, you know, apart from, from all our friends and colleagues. Yeah. And I don't know, my, my stand partner, uh, Mark Gibbs, you know, we sit together all the time and I actually call him my work husband and I hadn't seen him <laughs> in a year, almost a year. So that was really crazy for me, but it was nice to see him again. <laughs> Well, I know it's great to be back with all of our colleagues again, and I know our audiences are looking forward to being able to return to Hellsberg Hall next, and I'm sure the experience will be similar for them, a lot of range of emotions. And I definitely think, and I think you'll agree, Susie, now that we've been back, uh, the string players, the staff, a lot of the staff, it definitely feels um, normal and like home again. And even though we're following all these safety uh, precautions, of course, because of COVID, it really is great to be back. And it's a, a feeling of, you know, returning to what we've always done. And I know we can't wait to have live audiences again, and that'll make it even more special. And, you know, I think we should probably preface this all by saying that, you know, Susie and Mike haven't seen each other still because we're not all back in the Kauffman Center yet. So we're bringing back, we're still in the process of getting everybody back. Um, so the strings have been back since November-ish um, in in certain numbers. And then, you know, Mike plays the flute and, you know, wind and brass instruments, there's still a little bit of um, uncertainty around, you know, the safety and, and how things spread and, and things like that. So we're being very careful in bringing back our wind and brass musicians and doing that very slowly as well. So that's why they haven't been reunited in person yet, but maybe one day soon. <laughs> maybe one day soon. So I'm really curious, actually, Susie, for you to talk a little bit more about... Um, the recording experience in the hall, especially since I haven't been in there and certainly our listeners haven't been in there. And and for everyone's awareness, uh, we're now recording a lot of our concerts, of course, with audio, but also video. And there is a whole um, forest of cameras and microphones carefully placed to, to get a whole bunch of different angles and they're remote controlled. And it looks like the Starship Enterprise backstage. It's really amazing. <laughs> but, but talk a little bit, you know, from the performer's perspective of what you're seeing or feeling that's different uh, in these video recording sessions? Yeah, um, so yes, with the cameras being on stage and they're always in different locations, it's definitely an adventure <laughs> every time I go on stage. And, and it's good because our management is so good about you know sending us the stage plot beforehand so you sort of know where you... But there's like places backstage that you know everybody sets up and it's always six feet apart. So there's you know assigned places where you you know, set up your case, which is interesting. And then um, the recording experience itself, I think has been definitely an adventure um, for me. And it's definitely like a little stressful because you don't know sometimes if the camera is right on you. And sometimes when you're watching the live stream, you know, and you see it, oh, wow, they have a really close up of my, you know, bow arm or something. And, you know, it's kind of good that I'm wearing a mask because maybe if I'm making some weird expression on my face, but nobody can see it. Um, <laughs> But the first couple of times I walked on stage for the recording, I expected to see an audience. It was the weirdest thing. I was like, I came out and I was thinking, oh, there's going to be a pause. And I was like, oh, that's so, you know, a little bit sad. Of course, we definitely miss our audiences. But I'm really happy to be putting out these concerts. And I think we've done a great job putting together some string only. I am going to be playing with some winds next week in the Dvorak mm -hmm. Wind Serenade. So that should be exciting. Um, yeah, so that's basically my experience. It's been really fun and definitely an experiment. You know, you mentioned, you know, thinking that the audience was going to be there, expecting the audience to be there, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah. I, I, I can't remember if I talked about this on the podcast or not, but uh, I was talking with one of our musicians who had been in doing a, a recording, and she said um, 
that doing the recording with no audience there was so much more terrifying than doing it if people had been there. Like it was like she said, she just felt so exposed and it was, you know, it was it it was more nerve wracking to do it empty than it would have been if there had been a thousand people there. Do you find that as well when you're performing? Yes, I, yeah, that's exactly it, the exposed the exposed part of it. I definitely almost feel naked. I mean, it's, it's like when you have an audience there, you have some someone to play for and you're kind of you're performing it without really thinking about all the mics, you know. And I remember one particular uh, time we re- so we usually do two recordings, one in the morning, one in the evening. And the morning one, you know, it was like okay, it was fine, I felt great. And then the the evening one, I I happened to look up and there was a mic right over my stand, hmm. and then I got all all in my head and and I was a little bit more nervous for that one. So yeah, but sometimes when the audience is there, you don't think about the mics, you don't think about the cameras, you're just playing for the people out in the audience, which is so much easier. Yeah. So Susie, let's back up long before you were in Kansas City. Uh, I actually knew Susie's sister, Jisun, before I got to meet Susie. I went to CIM with with Jisun, and she's a great violinist, plays in the San Diego Symphony. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me let me ask, uh, she's a violinist, which I'm also a violinist. I do think it's the most superior string instrument, even <laughs> superior to the cello. Why did you pick the cello? She's your older sister, correct? Yes, she's, she's four years older than me. Four years older than you. Yes. So you mm-hmm. were probably, she was probably already playing quite a bit when you had to decide on an instrument. Was yeah. there ever a moment where you're like, I want to be like G-Sun and I want to play the violin? Or did you go the opposite <laughs> route and say, I want to play the cello? Actually, um, yeah, people ask me this question a lot. So my, my family is quite musical. My mom was also is also a cellist, and she played in the Seoul Philharmonic in South Korea right out of school oh, cool. when she was younger. And my dad was always an aspiring singer, but in, in Korea, you know, it's not quite, it's not very lucrative for a man to be playing music. It's just, you know, back in the day. So he was sort of mm-hmm. discouraged from it. So instead, he just listened to classical music a lot. And he had, we have a, collect, a huge collection of old historical LPs of just amazing artists. And so I grew up listening to that. And my sister was one of those, yeah, was one of those who really chose her instrument. I think she was watching Sesame Street and she really wanted to watch, she really wanted to play violin. For me, um, I was very shy, kind of introverted. And my parents thought, oh, well, maybe she needs something you know, to give her an outlet. And so they just kind of put the cello into my hands. And to be honest, I, I didn't say much, but I wasn't, you know, thrilled or not thrilled. You know, I was just kind of like, <laughs> okay, I'll just do what they tell me to do. <laughs> um, and it wasn't until later, maybe like when I was, I started when I was five. It wasn't until I was maybe 10 where I really decided that I loved the cello and wanted to pursue it. So Cool. Cool. So you decide that you want to play the cello and you know, you know, that that's something you want to pursue. So you go to school um, to become a cellist. Where did you go to school? Um, I went to the Juilliard School in New York City for my undergrad. And then I went to New England Conservatory of Music in Boston for my master's. All right. So you were in the Northeast. You're uh, you're cold. And then you decide that you need a, a break from that. And so you take advantage of the incredible opportunity um, afforded to talented young musicians trying to uh, to land a, a professional gig. And you are selected to join the New World Symphony down in Miami. Is that right? That is right. Yes. And I'm actually from Chicago. So yes, you're right. All the cold in my life was <laughs> negated by me moving to Miami. So can you talk a little bit about... 
um, the importance and the experience you had with New World and, and you know, why that organization is so important to uh, young musicians. And I know Mike was there um, at New World at the same time. Um, it's, yeah. it's just, a, it's a great organization that um, is an, a, a nice stepping stone for a lot of musicians and certainly a lot of players here in Kansas City have taken the New World route. Can you just talk a little bit about that experience? Sure. Um, yeah, and I think I think we have like 20 alums in the orchestra or yeah. something crazy like that. Um, the great thing about New World, not only you know get, getting to work with amazing guest artists and also the director is the wonderful Michael Tilson Thomas, and so musically, it's amazing. And you get to play, you know, recitals and uh, you get to play your excerpts and for really well-known um, orchestral artists as well. So that was very rewarding. But the other thing I really took away from there was um, just the, the way to interact with the community, mm-hmm. um, learning to sort of um, be able to talk to donors and make a connection with your audiences and I think that's one of the biggest things that I thought was so great about New World. They really expose you to that and they have like seminars about it, you know, how to also how to self-promote yourself, you know, in times mm-hmm. of like, let's say you don't take the orchestral route, you know, what can you do to, you know, make your own concerts or become your own artist? And so that was always really interesting for me. And I think it really helped me. I've been a, a board member in the Kansas City Symphony. I've also been part of the Artistic Leadership Committee. And I think all of that sort of stemmed from my experience at New World. Um, so I thought that was really great. That's neat. And you also returned recently to solo with them. Is that correct? What did you play with, with the New World Symphony? Yes, yeah, so I was sitting principal. They asked me to come for their gala last year, and that was right before the pandemic happened. So I got to mm-hmm. go there like beginning of February. And we also performed the Carnival of the Animals, and so I got to perform the Swan, um, oh, which is nice. very exciting. Yeah, so that was really nice. And actually, they have started a mentorship program, which I am a part of. And I just recently talked to my mentee via Zoom. And um, that's really that's really an interesting thing that they decided to do because right now, you know, it's a bit of a struggle for those musicians to be motivated. And it was really nice to talk to. She's a cellist and just talk about, you know, what she's going through. And, and she has access to me, you know, as little or as much as she wants. Um, so that's kind of a cool program that they've put in place. You know, we were talking um, recently with Larry Ratcliffe on a, an episode just a couple weeks ago. And I think that that's one thing, certainly that New World has done well and has continued to expand on and do well as far as like in- incorporating things other than playing into the instruction um, that students receive. Um, when I was in school, um, both in undergrad and uh, for my master's degree, you know, there wasn't a lot of um, exploration into, you know, music administration or, um, you know, how to write a resume or how to, how, like you said, how to talk to donors that didn't really exist. Um, and I'm so glad that, um, that now, I mean, Larry says, you know, at, at Rice University now, there are all of these programs in place um, and courses and lectures and things like that, that that run the gamut of things that that music graduates need to know how to do. And New World has definitely been a, a leader in that, I think. I, I've always thought that, you know, one of the, I don't know how explicitly spoken it is really, but one of the objectives of New World is, 
you know, to sort of infect, you know, especially American orchestras, but orchestras anywhere with this culture that they try to create there. Um, and and I certainly felt that. And I think, you know, all the work that that you've done uh, here since then is is such an important part of that. And I know, you know, I feel that as well, obviously. But talk about, you know, from your experience there and, and elsewhere, I mean, how how do you feel all this contributes, you know, to the future of orchestras? Because I think, you know, before there was ever a pandemic, you know, there was a sort of long and slow cultural shift happening where, you know, musicians needed to be more active in this way. And I just, I just wonder how you, how you look at that and some of these activities that you've done, you know, at New World and since then. Yeah. Um, I definitely think, you know, part of this pandemic has pushed us all to sort of um, be more creative in what we put out for ourselves. So, you know, when we don't have these concerts, I mean, for me, especially, I mean, I definitely go through waves, but there was a time where I was just itching to perform. So then, you know, I contacted um, like a local bar and, you know, we talked about putting on these parking lot concerts and Mike, you joined me in one of them or a couple of them. Yeah. And um, yeah, and so that was kind of fun to curate. You know, I, don't, I didn't really know, I, I, don't, I don't do a lot of that. I probably should do more. And so that was kind of fun, you know, advertising. I started making flyers on Canva and, you know, kind of experimenting with that whole thing. And just, you know, the, even the technology aspect. And Mike, you know a lot about that because you're, you put up amazing videos and you always help me edit all my videos too. But <laughs> like, I think it's a great skill just to sort of put yourself out there. You know, and, and that's something that I think I was talking to my New World mentee about, you know, because she, I think sometimes people feel unmotivated or, you know, what, what, do, what do you do during these times? And I'm even putting on an online recital or something, you know, just something that, you know, you're passionate about. I did also do this um, dance Bach project in Luce Park. Mm. I, I talked to a Kansas City Symphony uh, ballet member, a Kansas City ballet member, sorry. And um, I had not, you know, made a conne- we made a connection by doing this project together, which was really fun, you know. And we recorded it. We, we found a video engineer. Um, and so that was kind of, and I think you're right, that New World does help you cultivate those relationships and all that stuff. So, so you've talked a lot about um, mentoring and, and this great mentee that you have down at New World, but you are also a really fabulous teacher that we have right here in Kansas City. I've had the privilege of working with some of your students in youth orchestra when I've done the side-by-side. I've I've heard them in our concerto competition, mm-hmm. and you are such an exceptional teacher. Talk a little bit about Thank the you. importance. You're welcome. Talk a little bit about the importance of being a teacher when you are, are a performer in an orchestra and what that means to you to be able to contribute to our community in that way. Yeah, um, I love my students so much. They really bring me joy. And during the pandemic, you know, they're amazing. They're just so motivated. And we've had lessons online for, it's been a year now. And, I, and it's funny for me to think about when it was like March and I said, oh, maybe these online lessons will continue. We'll probably be back in person like around August. Mm-hmm. And here we are. <laughs> Um, well, it might be August, but August of 2021, not 2020. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. I think I learn a lot from my students. Um, you know, sometimes when they're going through certain things, and it's not just music related, you know, it could be some struggle that they're having. Um, I really have to sit down and think about how I'm going to solve that problem. And I think that's really 
important as a musician. And it reminds me, even, okay, let's say it's not an emotional problem or whatever, but it's a, something on the cello physically. You know, then I sit down and I really have to think about, oh, well, how did I, you know, do that? Or how did I learn how to do that? And how can I explain that? And I think that's really important to kind of, for me too, to go back to the basics and, and you know, explore that with them. So that's really important to me. And yeah, and I've done a, a few master classes online. And I think it's actually effective on the Zoom. It's actually, it, wor- it works. Um, and I've done some studio classes online as well. I'm curious, wh- when you do your master classes or your, your studio classes online, do you have the kids play for you over Zoom or do you have them send you a recording? How do you find works best? Yeah, so I actually just make them play on, on the actual camera. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I'll, I'll sort of introduce them and what they're going to play and then they'll unmute themselves and play. And then at the end, I'll have a, a sort of, well, after each one plays, I have a little bit of a, you know, can you say something nice and then something constructive? So they get to uh, participate in that way. And then, and I told them after the first Zoom that typically I have it in my house and I have like a pizza party. So one of my students said, well, maybe next time you have this Zoom, you could send us all a pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. That's a good idea. (laughs) I like that. Creative thoughts there. (laughs) Right, right. Opportunistic. I like it. Do you, I mean, do you also find, cause you know, I've been teaching a lot on zoom as well. And, you know, every musician out there is teaching a lot on zoom. One of the things that's been really interesting to me is that, you know, I find my students, you know, a lot of the time we're going through some of the same struggle to find, you know, motivation or feeling of, you know, isolation or whatever that, that we're all feeling. And that that's not surprising. What's, what's funny is that they, you know, they will come to me and I'm sure they come to you, you know, for some sort of advice or some sort of support in that. And one of the things that I, I find not funny, ironic, I guess, is is like they, they come to me for advice about that or, you know, they're having a tough day or they can't find motivation to practice. And, you know, what, like, what, what should I do? And I'm like, oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> you would tell me don't you find that like sometimes i don't know what to tell them i'm like oh my god like yeah this is my life too i don't know no and i think i think they appreciate the honesty honestly yeah i'm totally like you know don't worry i go through ways i'm like i actually think you're probably playing the the cello more than i am sometimes because sometimes i'm also unmotivated you know what i mean and i'm like i know where you're coming from so yeah i think but i think they kind of think it's funny and they kind of think oh well my teacher is human too Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of nice. In in a way, it's like a a reason to have a, a, you know, a connection that that we wouldn't probably have the same way, uh, you know, through in-person lessons. But I don't know. I've just found that so fascinating many times this period. Yeah, I I do feel like I've I've built these. Yeah, like, like Mike said, I've almost become closer to a lot of them through this, you know, experience over online. And um, I, I have to say one of the challenges for me is you know typically some of them who don't know how to tune their instrument I will tune it for them but when you're online it's like oh my gosh so I'll say things like okay four notches higher for the fine tuner or like two notches lower and it's been sort of an adventure and I have to kind of kind of guess and sometimes I get it right on the money I'll be like eight notches higher and it'll be like ooh. <laughs> um, but it's been better at it yes exactly so there's definitely interesting things about teaching online but it's fun. So I understand you've been doing a lot of volunteer work uh, during this time as well. Tell, tell us a bit about that. Yes. So I have been doing a bit of trash pickup. 
Um, my significant other is a Casey Parks ambassador. And so he sort of got me into, um, you know, every time we're driving, he's like, there's trash there and there's trash there. And, <laughs> and, and you know, he, he's really disturbed by it. So <laughs> he became, I didn't know he was a Parks ambassador. That's awesome. Yeah. And so um, he sort of recruited me and the associate librarian for Breeze on Martin Luther King Day. And we went out to Seoul Park and... I did it for a good two hours in, the, in like 20 degree weather, but it was actually rewarding. Um, yeah. It was really fun to do that. Yeah. And besides that, I've been also uh, trying to play at retirement homes that my friends' um, parents are perhaps at. And uh, Mike and I did one at Bishop Spencer. Mm-hmm. Um, what, when was that? August or something? Uh, yeah, we tried to do it and it was hot as possible. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> That's ideal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I've, I've done random things for people who asked for me to make them little videos for their parents. And so I've done a little bit of that, like little video cards for their birthdays or something. So that's been fun. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I think uh, people may not think about with, you know, playing at a place like uh, a Bishop Spencer or other, you know, assisted living centers, you know, because of COVID, in many instances, the residents can't leave yep. and their families can't come visit them. I mean, it's really, yep. mm-hmm. it's really quite sad. Um, and so, you know, being able to share music out in the courtyard, you know, some of the residents were able to come out in the courtyard and, and listen to us directly. But, you know, we also were able to play uh, facing, facing, you know, the 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 walls of the center and people could just open up their windows and hear hear music and they really enjoyed that so that was just terrific and um, I've enjoyed doing that with you certainly and I'm so glad that you're you're doing it uh, still yeah I think that's one thing I mean really when when the mobile music box was debuted in the fall um, you know we really took a page from what the musicians had already been doing throughout the summer. Um, on on your own and you know events like this where you're playing um, for nursing homes and assisted living facilities that continued even through the use of our music box where we um, because you're right exactly right Mike Um, you know these residents um, they lost their you know reach into the outside world Um, you know it was all gone they couldn't leave people couldn't come to them Um, and so being able to do these socially distanced performances outdoors um and we also were able to do that i know we did it at research medical center where people were able to either open the windows or just come out to the parking lot you know um there have been a lot of a lot of places that we went um for communities that really really needed it and that's something that we'll continue to do in the spring um with you know nursing homes assisted livings hospitals schools you know everybody needs music right now and i cannot wait for multiple reasons but i cannot wait for it to warm up <laughs> um one of those reasons being so we can get back to doing those um, performances in the community for sure yeah so Susie, here at beethoven walks into a bar we wrap up this little middle section with two very important questions uh, the first one is, what is your favorite drink of choice? If you were to go to a bar and order a drink after a concert, what would it be? Or if you were, um, you know, at home in your living room after making videos all day, what would you make for yourself? And then the <laughs> second part of that question is, um, if you were sitting down at the bar with Mr. Beethoven himself, with your drink in hand, what would you ask him? 
Okay, so I myself don't make cocktails, but if I were to, yeah. So if I go home after and to you know relax, I usually just have a glass of wine or something. But at a bar, I would typically have a Manhattan mm-hmm. or oh Jason. Mm-hmm. Jason's very it's my happy drink too. He yep. makes great Manhattans or a French seventy-five. I don't know if you guys know what a French. Dude, what is that? Ooh, yeah, it's gin and champagne with a lemon twist. Yummy. And simple Nancy. sugar. There's probably simple syrup involved, yeah. 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 So that's really good. And what would I ask Beethoven? Um, I think I would ask him what he does to decompress after he Ooh. writes these huge symphonies. <laughs> nice. That's a cool That's a cool question. I do like that. Think, I'd be curious to see what he'd say. Do you think he did decompress or did he just go right on to the next one? Like, I feel like. I was like going to say, he, pr- he probably, he probably decompressed right by writing a piano sonata or a string <laughs> right. quartet. I bet he drank a little bit, right? Well, uh, probably. probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's why the title is what it is for this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe he's doing yoga that we didn't know, you know. Beethoven walks into a yoga studio. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just think what. What would Beethoven 7 have sounded like if he had a French 75 after writing the 6th Symphony to decompress? Oh. Mm. (laughs) The world will never know. Would we still have that brooding slow movement? Oh, yeah, that's true. I don't know, but I will say if he drank Manhattans like Susie and me, he would have written 19 symphonies instead of 9 because he would have been (laughs) so inspired. So. All right. Well, the world will never know, but uh, we're going to have to move on as we ponder that. It's time for everyone's favorite segment of the show, Bar Talk, because neither Jason nor Stephanie have ever won this most important game. I will be your host again. Oh, I'm rubbing it in. I will be your host again to give them a fighting chance. This is your chance, guys. You know the rules. As always, I will ask a series of questions. You'll have a maximum of 30 seconds to respond. Remember, a maximum of 30 seconds. And please support your opinions. Every time you hear this sound, that means I like what you're saying, and you get a point. (laughs) Whenever you hear this sound... It basically means wrong answer, even though <laughs> they're all opinions. Yeah, always, it's a good thing Mike doesn't usually host this game because it took him like a half an hour to find each of those sounds. So <laughs> yeah. no, you might win now, a lot, but you're a terrible host. Yeah, Mike, no, I think, Mike, I think you did a wonderful job, and I look forward to the game. Thank you, oh, Stephanie. Kiss up, kiss up. Oh, She's I know. Stephanie gets a point before we've even started. What? She no, has some brown on. on her nose. Yeah, I do. There's a little something right there. Okay, here we go. And as always, Tim, our fearless producer, is keeping score. And for once, I can't win. So good luck, I have a feeling everyone. you're still going to win. I just have this feeling you're still going to win. Mike is going to win. win. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Everybody get serious. This is bar talk. It's okay, important. Here we go. Here we go. The points I'm going to win. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. Okay, here we go. The points are crucial. Everybody pay attention. So, uh, normally, when we're on stage, string players sit two players to a single stand, a single music stand, right? Right. So, now that uh, we have to be socially distanced, we can't do that, and each string player has their own individual music stand. So, what is the biggest perk of sitting one string player to a single stand? Jason, Hmm. you're first. 
Well, I'm tempted to say that if you're sitting on the outside, you'd finally get to turn all the pages and everyone knows how much fun that is. But I'm probably going to say that you can have as many bad, nasty things to eat for lunch as you want. You can eat onions, you can eat Funyuns, you can eat garlic, you could go to an Italian restaurant and go nuts. Because not only are you seven feet apart when you come back, but you're also masked, so that really cuts down on the the smelling of, of various foods as well. So you can eat whatever you want now. Oh, Mike, you geez, are a terrible host, man. <laughs> no. That took like a half an hour to give me a buzz. <laughs> and what was bad with that answer? I thought that was no. a great answer. No, no he see, doesn't have to say why. You don't have to justify yourself, Mike. You're I, doing I great. Mean, I will. I, that's the wrong answer because you made me nauseated and hungry all at the same time. <laughs> and you had a very <laughs> colorful description of, of you know, food okay. smells. Okay. Right. okay. Susie, okay. they can't hear us right now. You need to rethink your answer because he didn't like that answer. Okay, go. Okay. You're up. <laughs> Who, me? Um, yeah. <laughs> I would say I could write whatever I want in my music. Ooh. Nice. Yay! That's, that's definitely a good answer. So what do you usually write? Things like, you can do it, Susie. It's only third position. <laughs> All right, Steph, what do you got? So um, I don't really have an answer. I'm just going to continue telling you why Jason's was the wrong answer. So what? you can eat all the <laughs> stuff that answer. you don't, that you want, but like then you're wearing a mask. And so then you're just breathing in your nasty breath the whole time, your oh, onion breath oh. and your tuna breath. And that's just gross. So Jason's answer was definitely the wrong answer. Oh, no, I'm yes. sorry. I'm sorry. I don't disagree with you at all, but you, you. <laughs> oh. I tried so hard. No, you can't win by by. You can't piggyback on someone else's piggybacking answer. Piggybacking on your own. Piggyback on yours. You kind of you kind of dunked on Jason. Mike, he's been trash talking your hosting skills. I got your back. Man, the the favoritism going on here. I don't know. All right, let's move on to number two. This is this is uh, this is an important one. So, what cello excerpt is the most dreaded? To see on an audition list. What cello excerpt? Susie. Um, Ein Heldenleben. Ooh, Heldenleben. Ooh, really? Yeah. For me, personally. What, <laughs> what is difficult about that excerpt for you personally whenever you have to play it? Uh, honestly, there are so many excerpts in there. It's just, it's awkward. It's like hmm. high up in the hemispheres. It just, it doesn't sound good, even if you make it sound good. <laughs> when you're playing by yourself. <laughs> it's, just, it's just, it's hard. Susie gets oh, another point. Look at that. Heldenleben, both for cellos and horns, incidentally. Well, yeah. and anyone else who plays that melody. It's not a melody. It's like a melody that spans like three <laughs> octaves. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Everyone go listen to Hel- Heldenleben. <laughs> we'll put that in the, in the show notes. It's just stupid. I don't think you can even play it on a flute. I don't know if it fits in the range. And it's not even just the beginning. Oh, the middle parts. Oh, the middle parts. Okay. Good good answer. Uh, 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 Stephanie, you're up. Um, So, once again, I do not play the cello, nor (laughs) have I ever been at a cello audition. So, I reached out to our... Our, Jason, stop shaking your head. I reached out to our personnel managers and I asked them, what is the excerpt that most cellists seem most frazzled by? You and can't phone a friend in this game. This isn't who wants <laughs> to be a millionaire. There are no rules, sir. <laughs> That's actually true. There are no rules in this game. <laughs> um, and, 
and the uh, the answer with the most votes was William Tell. Oh, oh William Tell, the, the opening solo. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll That's give that a bell. See, because not only did you phone a friend, but you phoned a good friend who That's has right. been a guest on the podcast. That's right, and who is incredibly knowledgeable about auditions. That's just. I- I'm it's just, just resourceful. Wise. You're resourceful. Yes. Jason? Well, I'm first of all, Jason. first of all, I think that's a terrible answer because it's slow. It's not that hard to play that solo, is it, Susie? It's not that difficult. Also, I have to say that it's not on every audition, only principal auditions. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. See? So that should have been a buzz, but I digress. My answer oh, is... He's, uh, he's approaching his 30-second time limit. No, not yet. Uh, spent too much time dogging on me. Because I think it's hard to make it sound extremely free and also structured at the same time. And you have to be careful because you're going to be blending with other cellists, so it can't be too soloistic. Time's up. But it also needs to be <laughs> expressive and artistic. Yes! Point. There's a point for Jason. Even though he went overtime... I agreed with all of his points as a no, fellow yeah. La Mer aficionado myself. Okay, go. moving on to number three. It's it's getting heated now. So, <laughs> I know you all love to cook. Savory or sweet, Stephanie? Oh, savory for sure. There is no question. A, I hate baking. Baking is the worst for me. I like. I don't have the patience. We're totally soul sisters. I oh don't my bake. Gosh. Right? No. No. Nope. Like, why bake? No. It's savory all the way. All. All. Absolutely. Yes. Definitely the right answer. Yes. Um, I was gonna say savory, nope. and I'm still gonna say savory because no, I I also agree. I, I also don't bake. I don't have much of a sweet tooth, but I love foods that are rich in flavor that have some umami, that have some spice, that have some acid, salt, all of the <laughs> above. So definitely savory. <laughs> There, I, I solved it for you. Ding! <laughs> <laughs> Mike, you are never hosting again. I thought I pushed play and then it disappears. Oh my God. Yes, that was the right answer. I also okay. don't like sweet in my savory. Like, I don't like cinnamon yeah. in something in my, or I don't like raisins in something that's supposed to be salty. But so mm. I'm well, see, I don't person. mind cinnamon because cinnamon is spicy. Like, I mean, it's like. That's a, true. But yes. Not yeah. like sugar sweet. I'm not like a you know like a sweet and salty person either. If it's, it's no, no, no. All right, these are these are all the right answers. We need to go to so, dinner, Susie. So we need points to all around. <laughs> totally. Okay. Right, this right. is this is going to be the clincher here. Oh boy. So uh, uh, we're talking about two of the most iconic cello concertos. Iconic works for for solo cello, and uh, we've played them both here uh, relatively often. So the Dvorak. Cello Concerto or the Elgar Cello Concerto? Which is better and why? Jason. Uh, as much as I love the Elgar, especially uh, Jacqueline Dupre's performance of the Elgar, I'm going to have to go Dvorak because not only is it my favorite cello concerto, I think it's my favorite concerto for any instrument. Not just the yep. solo part, but the orchestral part is one of the best things that Dvorak ever wrote. So definitely the, the Dvorak. <laughs> That is definitely true, and I may say, if I may say, it has a, a beautiful flute solo in it, which I love to play. It does. That is the one thing I hate about it, but other than that, I love it. I mean, it's a really great piece, other than would that you, flute solo, Would yes. you give him a buzzer for that? What are you doing sleeping on this point there? Bully I buzzer. I don't have 20 minutes to pull up the horn right now. <laughs> Susie. 
I would also <laughs> say Dvorak cello concerto, also my favorite concerto of all the concertos. Um, I think the conversation between orchestra and soloists, one of the best. Yes. <laughs> definitely, definitely a ding. Stephanie, bring it home, and I remind you, you can't just ride on the coattails. You need an original <laughs> answer here. Well, that's just not fair. <laughs> Can be one or the other. <laughs> no, I mean, I can't win anyway. Again. Sure you can. No, I can't. I blew my chance with question one. Uh, it's, <laughs> you guys, I, I'm, I'm sitting here pouting. It's definitely Dvorak. It's the best thing Dvorak wrote. It's uh, it absolutely 100% without a doubt. Yay! Yay! I'm still winning. It is is an outstanding piece, although I will say I lived next door to a cellist for a little while, and it's all I heard, like, four hours a day. (laughs) Oh, yes, you've shared that before. (laughs) Have I? Yes. Okay, yeah. You sung it just like that, It, like, haunts my dreams. It's a tie, no. Tim just said there's a tie. Ooh. But who lost? A Bartok first. Oh. Oh my gosh. Wait, wait. I wait didn't a minute. Lose? How did I only have two points? I didn't lose. I wait, I got one for Dvorak, one for Savory, one for La Mer. Negative points. I got three points. Oh, negative, negative points. points. Oh, That's it was right. the negative points. It was oh. the pauses I got. Yeah. Darn it. Yeah. Man. Mm. All right. So the results. Go ahead, Mike. Well, it's a bar talk first. We have a tie, three three, <gasps> between Susie and and Stephanie. However, Woo! however, Susie has the advantage of being the guest. So by virtue of being the guest, Susie wins. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you. Boy, we really are making game. up the rules as we go along. <laughs> At least you tied for first. I I tied for I came in last again. A lot of those questions were cello cello centric. I so. should hope that you would win then. I will I concede. Well, Susie I know you're such a devoted fan of Beethoven Walks Into a Bar, so obviously you know that as the winner of Bar Talk, you get to recommend listening to our audience this week. Uh, so my recommended listening for this week is the Bach-Goldberg Variations, but not on the piano, a string trio version arranged mm. by Dmitry Sitkovetsky, and also he is playing the violin on the recording. It's on YouTube. Oh, awesome. So we will set you up with that, yes. Well, I look forward to listening to that, and we'll, of course, uh, put some links in the show notes for you. As always, uh, we'll put links to Susie's beautiful videos uh, that she did with Cameron Thomas, a dancer. Also, be sure and check out our digital classical and pop series subscriptions at mysymphonyseat.org. Susie, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to see you. Yes, great to see you guys. Thanks. Thanks, Susie. Thanks, Super Susie. Fun. Well, we want to thank you for joining us this week and every week on Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. Believe it or not, guys, this is our 40th episode today, and we are coming up on the one-year anniversary of our very first release of Beethoven Walks Into a Bar on March 19th. We're going to be taking a few weeks off, but we will be back with a happy birthday episode and many more new shows as well, starting in late March. In the meantime, be sure to catch up on previously released shows and visit the Kansas City Symphony website for some really terrific new educational videos that Stephanie has put together with our fabulous musicians. You can find all of that and more at kcsymphony.org. We'll see you soon.